Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Welcome to another episode of My Paranormal Story. I'm Tom Stewart, and what I'm going to do this week is something a little different. Uh, instead of telling one of my uh, paranormal stories, I wanted to take uh, some time to answer some questions that I get. I get a lot of emails uh, about the podcast, about different episodes, lots of my stories, and I get questions about me and about uh, your paranormal experiences. And when people email me, I do try to email everyone back. Uh, but I thought it would be interesting to once in a while do like a Q&A episode where I answer some of the questions that I've gotten through emails. And I think sometimes I might do them based on a certain episode. And so that's what I want to do this week is I want to do a Q&A podcast answering all the questions that you guys have sent me about the episodes that I did related to the Station Nightclub Fire, which were episodes 16 and 17. Before I get into all of that, though, I just wanted to thank, obviously, all of you for listening to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. Uh, uh, since the beginning of the year, uh, so many more downloads, which means you guys have been sharing it. So thank you so much for that. And recently, I've found out that there are a lot of younger listeners checking out the podcast, too, which I never really expected. Like, I, I always just picture my friends and people around my age listening to the podcast, but it turns out that there are a lot of young adults and teens who have been listening, who have an interest in the paranormal, much like I did at that age. And uh, a few emails that I got this week, I want to say hi to them. Uh, Katie, who is 15, is uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, also, Gabriel, who's 13, he listens with his sister, Savannah, who's 11, and uh, they both listen with their mom, Jessica, uh, down in North Carolina. So I just wanted to give them a little shout out uh, for listening to the podcast. And um, I think it's pretty cool that there are younger people listening. And uh, hopefully I'm helping you with your interest in the paranormal. Um, so keep the emails coming. Anytime you want to email me with any question or if you have a story of your own, it's uh, myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com. I know that's kind of long, but I felt like it was the easiest way to remember it. So myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com. So uh, February 20th, which um, is tomorrow, because uh, it's the 19th as I'm recording this right now, is the anniversary of the Station Nightclub fire. It happened in 2003, which makes it uh, 17 years ago, which kind of blows my mind because uh, it doesn't seem like it happened that long ago. And if you've listened to 
those episodes, you know that um, I am a survivor of the Station Nightclub fire. I was there that night. I did escape with my friends, um, which we were very fortunate because many people didn't. Um, 17 years ago means some of you listening uh, maybe not, weren't even born or were too young to realize what it was. Uh, the Station Nightclub fire is still to this day, I believe, the fourth deadliest fire in U.S. history. Exactly 100 people died from that fire, and many, many others were injured and hurt and burned, and of course, all of us were affected, and everybody in the community was affected, and all the families who were affected. It's it's really a really big tragedy, and it happened uh, in my home state of Rhode Island. That's where I was born and where I grew up, and uh, so I talk in the episodes a little bit about my experience there. But I did have some paranormal-related experiences before, during, and after the Station Nightclub fire. Now, to give a little more history on it, in case you didn't listen to the episodes or you're you're not familiar with the Station Nightclub fire, um, it was just a small rock club where bands would come to town and perform for you know small audiences, four or five hundred people tops. And the band Great White had come to town. And they were a very popular rock band in the late 80s, early 90s. I think they even won a Grammy. Um, But, you know, by 2003, their heyday was kind of over. So they were back to performing in small bars. And um, they had a show at the Station Nightclub. I had never been there before. And uh, I just happened to, a few days before the show, heard about it on the radio and got some tickets for me and friends, and we just went for the heck of it. We just thought it was, hey, let's go see this band. You know, these guys haven't been around in a long time. So we went to the show, and then obviously what happened was the band, as they took the stage, they had some pyrotechnics on the stage, just kind of like these ginormous sparklers coming out of the stage. And the club owners had previously put some soundproofing foam, kind of like you'd see in a recording studio, they put soundproofing foam on the walls because neighbors have been complaining about the noise. And um, from what I understand, the the foam that they bought uh, was flammable. And so when those pyrotechnics went up, the foam caught on fire and the building being old and wooden, it went up pretty fast. And so that was part of the deal. Part of it also was that Uh, Getting out of there was difficult. Most people ran to the front door, which was just a small hallway and doorway. So most people just got stuck or trampled on or fell over as the fire was happening. And so that's the station nightclub fire, basically. Short version of it. Now, I get lots of questions, of course, still to this day, you know, of, you know, simple questions. How did I get out? And what did I see? And things like that. Um, that's probably the most popular question is how do I, how did I get out? And the the short answer is uh, a side door. There was a side door that wasn't too far from me. Uh, because I, I, when we got there, I didn't want to stand close to the stage. I didn't want to stand close to the band. I knew that four to 500 people were all going to be jammed together over there and I'm a bit claustrophobic. So I was like, I'm just going to stay way back here guys next to the bar. And most of my friends were pretty much like, yeah, let's just stay back here. So we weren't caught in the stampede of people trying to rush out to the door. And we weren't right next to the stage. Um, But my first instinct was to head to the front door 
the same way I came in. I mean, that's your human instinct is to go out the way you came in. And having never been there before, I wasn't aware of any other doors or exits. And as I took a few steps towards that front door, that was when I heard the voice that I tell you about in the episode where somebody behind me said, no, Tom, this way. And it was a male voice. And so when I heard that voice, I stopped in my tracks and turned and realized, oh, there's a door right there and there's not many people. So I turned and, and made it out that door, just barely. Uh, and when once I got outside, I found all my friends and uh, the four of the people I had been there with all got out as well. Um, and that's basically how I got out to this day. I don't know whose voice it was. It was not one of my friends. Um, they, you know, cause I asked them all and, you know, based on where they were and everything, it wasn't one of them. Um, I don't know. Could it have been a coincidence? There was someone else named Tom in there that somebody was yelling for, I suppose. Um, but for me, I feel like it was something call it a guardian angel, call it a spirit, uh, call it my conscience. I don't know, something like that. But a voice that I heard told me to stop and go the other way. And had I not heard that voice and kept going, I most likely would have been caught in that crowd of people who got stuck in the doorway, who most of them didn't make it out. Um, so that's like the big question I get is, is how did I get out? And, um, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I was, I still had one more friend who was in there who got out after me. Um, but luckily he did get out and, you know, um, another question I get asked a lot is, did I get hurt? Which somehow amazingly I didn't. I mean, outside of some scratches and bruises from, you know, bumping into things. Um, and then I had a really nasty cough for a few days from the smoke that I must've inhaled. Um, but I didn't go to the hospital or anything like that. Uh, I wasn't injured, uh, but a lot of people were. A lot of people still, and probably for the rest of their lives, will be suffering from some sort of scars or injury or permanent uh, disability because of the fire. Um, and then, like I said earlier, 100 people uh, died. Uh, some of them were in the hospital and then weeks later passed away, but many of them um, were you know, declared on the scene, which was um, really difficult. And um, I don't know, I guess the reason I talk about this is because questions come up every year around the anniversary, and and I feel like it's kind of my way to deal with it, is to answer people's questions and let them know what happened, how it felt, what I went through, things like that. Everybody feels a connection to it, at least in this area of New England. Um, that's the other question I get a lot. Are you still affected today? Uh, yes. Um, I've recently been told by people who are, you know, experts in this doctors and stuff. I haven't been diagnosed, but most people believe that I suffer from a, a, a bit of PTSD from having gone through that ordeal. Um, after it happened, I did go see a psychiatrist uh, for one session. And, um, I don't know if I was just pretending or if I was just, you know, really good at convincing her, but she said that she thought I was going to be okay and that I was dealing with it well and that I didn't need to have regular sessions. But that probably wasn't accurate because I had many breakdowns within years after that. I've had jobs that I couldn't perform, um, relationships. A lot of things in my life were affected uh, over the years, and, and I feel like a lot of it was because of the trauma that I suffered from being in that fire, which 
I also um, have to deal with survivor's guilt. Um, that's something where, uh, even as I talk about this now today, I feel guilty even saying that I suffer from this or this affected me this way. When there are so many people who are suffering so much more than me, who did suffer more than me, whether they were injured or whether they knew someone who didn't survive. Um, I always, always will live with that survivor's guilt of feeling like, you know, like I shouldn't even talk about how it affected me because it's not fair to the people who suffered even more, you know? Um, so those are the ways that it still affects me to this day. Um, some of the other questions, who do I think that voice was? Um, like I said, uh, guardian angel, some sort of a spirit. I don't know. Um, I did one time have a psychic who told me that, um, well, at first she was telling me that there was a strong spiritual presence around me. She said there were lots of spirits following me and she wasn't sure why, but she felt like there was a reason. And she said there was one especially strong one. And because of my age, she didn't want to say it was my father because at the time it didn't make sense that my father would be, have died because he, you know, he would be still relatively young. Um, but she kept saying it felt like a paternal thing. So she kept saying, maybe it's your grandfather or something like that. And then when she blurted out, it can't be your father cause you're too young for that. And I said, no, my father had, did pass away. He passed away, you know, several years ago. And so that's when she was like, it was probably your father's voice that you heard. I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'll ever know for sure whose voice it was, but um, it's uh, it's just a strange thing that happened and saved my life, you know. Um, let's see. Some of the other questions. Um, do you hate Great White now? <laughs> uh, yeah, Great White was the band that was playing there. I think only the lead singer was still the original guy from the band, if I'm not mistaken. Um, no, I don't I don't hate the band. Um I don't get exposed to them though because radio stations in New England won't even play their music anymore for fear of upsetting someone. Even 17 years later, I never hear great white music anymore, which is, you know, uh, kind of a bad thing because they were so good and I liked their music. I had all their albums. Um, but nowadays I might hear their song come on like satellite radio or something. And, and I turn it off, you know, I switch it off because, um, not for any hatred for the band or anything, just kind of a superstitious thing, I guess. Uh, like I mentioned in the episode, um, three times I had tried to see Great White in concert over the years. And all three times, something bad happened. Obviously, the third one being the fire was the worst. Um, but previously before that, I had missed them because of a flat tire and another time because uh, the girl that I was going with, she cut her knee on some glass and we didn't end up going. So it was just like a bad luck band for me. So now I kind of feel superstitious about them. Like if they come on the radio, I'm afraid that something bad might happen. So I just I switch it off, which, you know, kind of a bummer, but that's just, you know, the way I feel about it. Um, I was fortunate, though, uh, a few years after the fire. I was working at a radio station, a rock radio station in Massachusetts nearby Rhode Island. And we were doing a, a fundraiser to try and raise money for the station, um, the station benefits, uh, uh, the station nightclub fire, which was a, a charity that would raise money to help the families and the victims and everything because 
there wasn't a lot of funding coming to help these folks. And many of them were out of work or they lost, uh, you know, a husband or a wife. And so they weren't making as much money. So there were foundations created to help raise money for the victims of the fire. And we were doing a fundraiser to try and raise money for it. And I thought that if we could get the lead singer from the band, Jack Russell, to come on the radio and do an interview, that would be such a huge, huge thing. You know, it would get a lot of attention and it would get a lot of people listening and maybe those people would donate money. So, you know, I talked to someone and they talked to someone and they talked to someone and it got to Jack Russell, the lead singer. And remarkably, he agreed to do it. I don't know why or what was said to him to convince him because he would he had turned down you know, huge interviews like Oprah and Good Morning America and things like that. But he did our little rock station and um, against his lawyer's wishes, I believe, too. But he came on and he talked for like an hour about the night, about what happened, about how bad he felt. I mean, he he definitely got emotional and was crying a little bit. And a lot of people were so mad at him, but didn't realize that he went through the whole thing too. I mean, you know, he didn't want that to happen. Those people were his fans and he adored them. And, you know, he, he, you know, it's what he does for a living. The last thing he's going to do is try and put people in danger, you know? Um, and not only that, but uh, one of the members of the band didn't make it out either. So he was also grieving as well for losing a friend. So, you know, it was interesting to be able to talk with him and I actually got to talk with him um, off the radio for a little while, just him and I, uh, you know, talking on the phone. And I mean, he must've apologized to me a hundred times and just was, couldn't have been, you know, um, a more heartfelt guy when it came to the whole thing. So that helped me get some closure that probably a lot of people didn't get. And, you know, if there are people who do still hate the band or hate the lead singer, I understand, you know, I mean, he is responsible for what happens at his shows, you know? Um, which leads me to what other people ask all the time. Who do you blame for the fire? You know, who, who's, whose fault was it? And, um, I mean, I definitely have to say the owners of the club who had put up that foam, um, they should have known better than to put up something that would be, you know, flammable. Um, but a lot of it really was just a lot of different things happening all at the same time. A lot of different people making bad judgment calls or making mistakes or doing something they shouldn't have. And all of them doing it was like a chain reaction that led to this. You know what I'm saying? Like if you took one person out of the equation, the, the tragedy doesn't happen. So the paranormal part was interesting to me. The bad luck thing that I mentioned, I feel that's kind of a, a paranormal thing, premonition or what you want to call it, um, leading up to it that the band was just bad luck for me, you know, cause I'd been to literally hundreds of concerts, but for some reason their concerts always ended badly for me. Um, and then there was afterwards where, uh, my friend who was in the hospital in a coma, she had told me that she had a vision of me sneaking into her hospital room disguised as a doctor. And that was literally something I had discussed with a friend whose girlfriend was a nurse in that hospital. And I had literally discussed with her the idea of, I want to try and sneak in and see her. So can I get a doctor's outfit or something? Um, so that was very weird for that to have happened too. So I just wanted to answer those questions uh, about that particular episode. It's a two-parter episode 16 and 17. Um, if you haven't listened to it, um, 
you know, please give it a listen. It is the 17th anniversary of the Station Nightclub Fire, and uh, it's always a tough month for me, February. Um, but this helps to be able to just tell my story and to answer some of your questions. And I think I'm going to do this, you know, uh, once in a while, just do a Q&A session about questions, perhaps about certain episodes or maybe just about me or or about how I feel about paranormal situations or something. Um, I'll just go by what you guys send me as for questions and emails. And you can also go on Facebook to My Paranormal Story. I have a Facebook page that you can leave questions um, is an Instagram, my paranormal story podcast on Instagram. Um, and then as I mentioned earlier, you can email me at my paranormal story podcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that went by pretty fast. So, um, I appreciate you again for listening. Uh, it really means a lot. I hope I answered, um, some questions and wasn't just rambling for 20 minutes, but, um, let me know what you think of the, the Q and a episode two. And if you want me to do more of these, uh, I'm going to keep continuing to tell my stories as I remember them and write them down. But uh, yeah, I'd like to do these a little bit too. So definitely reach out. I appreciate you listening. So please take a moment to think about the, the victims and the families of the station nightclub fire that happened 17 years ago. And of course, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is my paranormal story. <laughs>